Our first reading today is from Amos, chapter 8, verses 4 through 7, in the Common English Bible. Judgment on Oppressors and Hypocrites. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and destroy the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, so that we may offer wheat for sale. Make the ephah smaller, enlarge the shekel, and deceive with false balances, in order to buy the needy for silver and the helpless for sandals, and sell garbage as grain. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget what they have done. Holy wisdom, holy God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses. Jesus also said to his disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? Not strong enough to dig and am too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than those people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. God of unexpected judgment finding grace in the devious and compromised. Free us from the certainty of having you in our grip that a better wealth may flow through our open hands, through Jesus Christ, the currency of life. Amen. So who here prefers eating dessert over their vegetables? Yeah. Of course. 
Anybody the other way? Anybody prefer vegetables over dessert? Well, this is the Sunday for you. You've come to the right place. Lately, I've been making these um, chocolate chip cookies in uh, like a 10-inch iron skillet. And so it comes hot out of the oven. You slice yourself a piece of the cookie like a slice of pie. And you put the vanilla bean ice cream on top of the cookie and some caramel sauce on top of that. That's, that's, the, that's the stuff right there. Uh, yeah, dessert's better for most of us. Luke 15, which we heard from last week, that's dessert. Uh, we saw in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin a vision of God who will go to any length to bring us home. It was a message of unconditional, relentless, divine love. And all the stories end with parties and dancing. Aaron had these really great uh, stickers of Jesus doing the dab. I can't even, I don't even know what the dab is. I mean, I, I can't do it for you. And it has something to do with your arms. But anyway, there's this great sticker of Jesus doing the dab. And it's this picture of the way God feels about you when God sees you, which is that you bring such joy to God's heart that you dance. That's Luke 15. That's dessert. I love preaching on passages like that. And then comes Luke 16, and that's our vegetables. And you think, man, can we just have dessert all the time? Wouldn't that be great? Well, yes, you can. And, and no, you can't. Uh, the relentless grace of God that we see present in Luke 15 is the same God who makes it clear that we cannot serve both God and money. See, we need our vegetables too. But perhaps the key to understanding the vegetables is remembering, hey, Luke 15 came first, dessert comes first. If you recall, Luke 15 began with the religious leaders upset with Jesus, resentful that he would dare to eat with tax collectors and sinners. And in response, Jesus tells five stories in a row. We heard two of them last week. We skipped one. We're hearing one today, and we'll hear one in two weeks as well. And this is where I think of Jesus as like a great stand-up comedian, where he just kind of brings one bit after another, and each one leads to this great conclusion where you lose it laughing, although I don't know this one makes you laugh as much, but at least brings it home, and we'll hear that conclusion two weeks from today. But we have to know these five stories, they are rooted in this issue of religious resentment towards Jesus, that he would dare to eat with tax collectors and sinners, sex workers, and those who no one wanted to spend any time with at all. Jesus stands in the lowly place, and he invites us to join him there. That's what the vegetables of Luke 16 are all about. Will we stand with Jesus in the lowly place, or will we stand with the wealthy and the powerful who cannot stand to be near such filth. And apparently, according to Jesus, we can't have it both ways. We need to choose. Now, this parable you heard, it's often referred to as the unjust steward. And it is universally regarded as Jesus' most difficult parable. Why is it so difficult? It's because nobody really knows what it means. And if hearing it a moment ago, you had a question or two, then I'm right there with you because it sounds as though Jesus is saying, blessed are you who cook the books to save your bacon. But that doesn't seem right. So what does this parable mean? Well, I think we should say up front, we need to be honest, we don't really know what it means, right? Nobody does. 
But I'm going to present you with a reading that I think makes sense. And you can try it on for size and see what you think about it. Now, most often when we hear parables of Jesus about a rich, wealthy landowner, we kind of just have this automatic assumption that that must be a placeholder for God. Because God's powerful, right? So if there's a story about a rich, powerful person, it's got to be God. But what if we don't assume that? Let's not assume that about this landowner and see what happens. The setting of the parable begins that this rich man had heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. Now, rich people in the first century, um, they liked to live near the big city. So what that meant is that they lived in the southern part of Israel, right in Judea, right by Jerusalem. They didn't want to live out in the sticks like Nazareth, out in the country. No, they lived by the cosmopolitan elite. And the way that they became wealthy oftentimes was through real estate, through land acquisition. And so they'd buy up land in the northern backwoods areas, the rural parts of Israel, like Galilee up in the north. And they'd find these farmers who couldn't pay their taxes to Rome. And they brought this wonderful deal to them, saying, you know, I'll take care of those taxes for you. You don't need to worry about that. I'm just so generous. All you have to do is give me the deed to your land. And, and I'm so generous that I'll let you keep working the land I'll take care of your taxes and you pay a tribute to me. This is what we learned in first century business school. We called that a win-win. But is it a win-win? Not really, right? Not, it's a win for the rich person. But for the farmer who loses their ancestral land, it is a system that is rigged against them. See, that's how wealth worked in the first century. Those who had it leveraged it against those who didn't have it. So unlike our world today, right? Now we just make wealth by honest means and, and by just contributing good things to the world, right? That's the only way people make wealth today. See, the wealthy didn't become wealthy back then by being generous or benevolent, but by being shrewd and opportunistic. And the gap between the rich and the poor was so great at that time that there was virtually no movement between the two groups. And the wealthy people who made these land deals with the poor farmers, what they did when they made these deals, it's not like they moved up to the Galilee and lived in the rural parts of Israel. No, no, they stayed in the cosmopolitan center of Jerusalem, and they would hire these managers to look after their interests on the estate. And so the managers were perhaps closest to what we might consider a middle class. Now, that world was, you know, the gap between the rich and the poor has been getting greater in our time, but it was on a whole nother level back then where a very, very few wealthy people on the top had all of the land and the power. Almost everybody else was poor, and then there were these really tiny middle class, these managers who lived and stuck in the middle of the system. And the managers, what they did is they worked on behalf of the wealthy to make them even wealthier and do so at the expense of the working poor. That was their job. And so here we have this parable of Jesus, and the landowner comes in and says, you're not doing a good enough job. You are not extracting as much wealth as I want you to. And so I'm going to fire you. And I'm going to find someone who is as ruthless as I am. Now the turn in the story comes when this manager has a conversion of sorts. He realizes, you know what? My employer doesn't care about me. He never has. 
And so he says to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as a manager? Not strong enough to dig and I am too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that people will bring me into their houses. The manager is apparently not a fan of the temptations. Ain't too proud to beg? Come on. (laughs) Keep up. And he comes up with... (laughs) He comes up with this idea to ingratiate himself to the people that he had been previously trying to exploit. And so, in other words, he changes his loyalty. He decides that instead of working to build wealth for this landowner, instead I'm going to take the last bit of power that I have to help those who are beneath me. And so he forgives half of the first farmer's debt, 20% of another. And to everyone's surprise, the master ends up impressed with his manager. See, this manager found a different way to play the game. By working on behalf of those on the bottom, he used his position to help himself and his neighbors instead of working to gain a morsel from the rich person's table. And then comes the most confounding verse, I think, of all, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. Okay, Jesus, what on earth does that mean? Well, like the manager in the story, you and I, we are, we are caught. We are just found ourselves in this system that we didn't create. Uh, and Jesus is inviting us to stop wasting our time courting the favor of people who don't care about us and never have. And he's inviting us to use our money for people instead of using people to get money. He's inviting us to forgive debts when we have the power to do so. That's kind of been in the news lately, hasn't it? Because one day the money is going to run out. And all that's going to be left is how we've treated those around us, particularly the lowest and the least. Do we look at the lowest and the least with the disdain that those religious leaders did in Jesus' time? Or do we welcome them? Identify with them? as Jesus did. See, the truth is money makes a good servant and a terrible master. And we can't have it both ways. But man, have we tried, right? (laughs) Boy, have we tried to find ways to serve both God and money. And it just doesn't work. I have, right? If only I just had a little bit more, then I'd be fill in the blank. Then I'd be free. Then I'd be happy. But it's a lie, and it's killing us. It's often been said that we write in God, we trust upon the God in which we trust. But this God of money, it's not worthy of our trust. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they they weren't any different than us. They were not uniquely greedy people. They're like us, caught in the middle of a system they didn't create, just trying to get by. And they probably heard this story that Jesus told and said, you know what, that sounds great, Jesus, but it's not realistic, and it's not fair. 
Maybe it's not. But our current path of wealth accumulation, systemic death, debt, and consumption, well, that's neither realistic nor fair either. Our current path is destroying the only planet that we have and the people that God cherishes. We must find a better way. See, the radical message of Jesus isn't, Jesus was nice to the poor, so you should be nice to the poor too. No, it's not particularly radical. The radical message of Jesus is that he made himself one with the poor. He ensured that there was no separation between himself and sinners, those with whom he eats. That, that kind of message, that's a radical message that will get you killed by the powers of this world. Because the powers of this world are utterly dependent on keeping us all separate. Right? Don't eat with them. Don't touch them. Don't be associated with them. The powers of this world need our resentments to burn if they are to stay in control. But Jesus doesn't play the game of resentment and separation. He's playing a different game altogether. And he's inviting us to join him at this table where all are one. You see, serving the God of money has made us sick and bloated, separate. And God wants us to flourish together. That's what vegetables do. <laughs> they strengthen our body. They allow us to see past the illusion of our separateness. Jesus never used people to gain wealth. Instead, he renounced wealth for the sake of people. The Apostle Paul says, although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you could become rich through his poverty. That, my friends, that's the gospel. That's dessert. And that's the only treasure worth living for.